let's open up to Exodus, if you will, chapter 20. Firstly, who knows how many laws there probably are in the Old Testament? How many laws are there? We think there's 623. I've personally never counted them, but um, I've seen different studies that claim there's 623. Uh, but we're taking you back tonight to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1, the God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Commandment number two, verse seven. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, commandment number three, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor to do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, nor thy dog within thy gates. There was a little bit of an addition there. You should have noticed that. In other words, nobody. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12, honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Commandment number five, verse 13, thou shalt not kill, or probably more correctly translated, thou shalt not murder. Uh, commandment number six, Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, number seven, number verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Commandment number eight, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. Commandment number nine, verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor his commodore, nor any other thing that is thy neighbour's. Thou shalt not covet, in other words. I elaborated a little bit there. So the Ten Commandments, we've all heard about that. There they are. If you wondered where they were, Exodus chapter 20 in a nutshell. You've got it there. Um, and a lot of good advice there, of course. Most of it is in relation to our relationship with other people, you know, stealing, bearing false witness, covetousness, and so on and so on. Uh, a couple of them relate to our relationship with God, uh, no other God before me, not worshipping idols, not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, and so on. Um, and uh, as part of my job, um, uh, I, I, uh, a little cross I bear every now and again is we get people who write to us and sometimes it's very long emails. And I, I had one recently all about why don't you keep the Sabbath? And I say, you can write a really long email about keeping the Sabbath. Um, you can also write a very short response in relation to that. But I thought tonight, because it, it just came up recently, I thought I hope you don't mind if I do a little bit of a Bible study about the Sabbath. Um, because it, it is something you'll come across from time to time. Every now and again, you'll bump into perhaps a Seventh-day Adventist uh, or, or whatever it is and so on. And um, uh, others that you'll bump into, by the way, are, what do they call them, uh, Messianic Christians, you know that expression? Uh, Messianic Christian means a Christian who spirit-filled, speaks in tongues, who's joined a little group that has decided to go back and keep all the law of the Old Testament. You're thinking, that's impossible. 
What about all the sheep you got to kill and turtle doves and stuff like that? The RSPCA and have you for breakfast. Um, but apart from a few sacrificial things, they keep the food laws and the Sabbath and, uh, you know, feast of trumpets, and they usually have a bit of a ram's horn somewhere in the background. Um, so they're spirit-filled people who keep those sorts of laws. And, uh, I mean, they, they kind of vary from the sublime to the ridiculous, uh, if you know what I'm sort of saying. But so there are even spirit-filled people that are right into that sort of thing. And as I say, the the first thing to notice is that the Old Testament contains, we think, about 623 laws, regulations, statutes, and ordinances. Um, in fact, funnily enough, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in the law, which of the Ten Commandments did he quote? None of them. He quoted another obscure little commandment, thou should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy strength and all thy soul. And when he was perhaps also asked about the second most important law, which of the Ten Commandments did he quote? None of them again. He simply said, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, which is in fact a law back in Leviticus there. You can look it up in Deuteronomy. Um, so none of the Ten Commandments and uh, uh, and so on. And uh, I want to look a little bit tonight about this, just to sort of explore it a little bit, to make it clear. One of the um, things that happened during the 19th century was as the Reformation took hold in places like America and the New World, uh, the uh, in the 1800s, early 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, people began to read their Bible and they began to look more and more and just not presume that the Catholic or the Anglican churches were right or the Lutheran church even was right. And they began to look further and further and deeper and deeper. And uh, around that period, quite a number of folk in America in particular began latching onto the seventh day. And you had this kind of uh, coalition of Seventh-day believers and Second Advent believers. A Seventh-day believer was someone in that period of time who believed that you should still today keep the fourth of the Ten Commandments, that should, you know, observe the Sabbath. And the Second Advent were people who believed that, well, Jesus is coming again. You see, for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, the concept of Jesus coming back again had been kind of, I won't say lost, but it's certainly been relegated as a kind of a non-question, non-issue. Now, you and I today, we know Jesus is coming back, and all the people say, happy to call myself, a, in that sense, a second Adventist, if you know what I mean. We definitely believe Jesus is coming back. But the other bit was the seventh day, and those seventh-day believers and the Advent believers joined together and became, I'm summarising, forgive me if I've not quite got all the details right for you, but they became the seventh-day Adventists as a result of that, SDA. And uh, I'm not rubbishing them particularly not. I'm happy to sort of rubbish everybody if I am allowed to, but I do want to just point out, and as I'm not rubbishing them, but I just want to point out where this has gone wrong badly, badly wrong. Uh, at that time, of course, people were convinced that to become a Christian was to receive God's Holy Spirit power so that you could keep the Ten Commandments and uh, perhaps all the other ordinances required of God. I mean, as I stand here, you probably look at me and think, oh, he looks all right, but do you know I'm breaking one of the old rules of the Old Testament? You know, my shirt is made of cotton polyester. I keep on saying to Leslie, just buy me cotton shirts, cotton polyester. Uh, my trousers are wool 
rayon, I think they are. My socks are probably polyester rayon. My shoes aren't even leather. They're leather and whatever that thing is there. I don't know, plastic of some sort, PVC. The Bible says you will not wear any clothing made of two different materials. It's only about be allowed to either be cotton or wool or linen or that's probably about it back in those days. It wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, petrochemical type uh, uh, products derived. So it's very, in our society, you're breaking the law all the time is what I'm trying to point out. So let's pick up a few more thoughts over in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I'm going to pick up a story of Jesus dealing with these issues and uh, verse 19 did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? And it's a pretty blunt statement, isn't it? Didn't Moses give you people, the Jews of his day, the law, and yet none of you keepeth it? Not one person. There is not one righteous, no, not one. None of you keeps the law. Elsewhere, Jesus used the illustration of people who were on the Sabbath day uh, they um, well, actually, let's use the illustration he gave us here. Uh, verse, uh, where are we? Yes, John 7, verse 20. Uh, the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil, who goeth about to kill thee? And Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. In other words, it predates Moses and the law. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. And if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Uh, in, in, in fact, I need to probably just fill in a gap here. Go back to chapter 5 just for a moment. Chapter 5, just filling a little gap. Uh, because he made a man whole on the Sabbath day. This was the problem. If you go to chapter 5, we'll pick up the story, just the, the, the very heart of it in verse 12 here. Uh, then they then uh, asked they him, what man is that which said to thee, take up thy bed and walk? So Jesus had cured a man, and he that was healed wist not who he was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place, uh, and so on there. Back to verse 8. And Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. And it was against Jewish regulations to pick up something as heavy as your mat or your sleeping blanket and carry it and walk very far. There were regulations the Jews had developed about what you could and couldn't carry and how far you could walk on a Sabbath day. They devised a regulation that you could only walk roughly half a kilometre. You'll see later on when people receive the Spirit, they returned from Jerusalem, which was a Sabbath day's journey. Do you remember that expression? Okay, in Acts chapter 1 there, uh, meaning, of course, that it was no more than about half a kilometre roughly down the ravine and up the other side again. Uh, so they'd worked out all sorts of regulations, how far you could walk, what you could do, what you could do, couldn't do, and so on and so on. And in this case, you cannot pick up your bed and walk. Uh, on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him that was cured, it isn't the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, he that made me whole, the same said to me, take up thy bed and walk. And then they asked him, what man is it that said to thee, take up thy bed and walk? And uh, so on and so on. Down a little bit, if you will, to verse 16. Verse 16. 
And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them and said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God or like God. So we get the gist of what's happened and why Jesus has ended up in a debate with these people. Back to chapter 7. Back to chapter 7. I need to read this again now. Um, and chapter 7, if you will, verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Uh, verse 22, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, and because it is of Moses, not because it's of Moses, but of the fathers, and you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I've made a man everywhere whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous, judge right with, uh, sorry, judge righteous judgment, and so on. And the story, of course, relates around this fellow being healed on the Sabbath and Jesus giving instructions effectively to break the Sabbath. And Jesus points out, guys, you'll, there's lots of occasions where all of you will break the Sabbath. The classic, of course, is circumcision. If you have a circumcision ceremony on the Saturday, which is the Sabbath, then, of course, the priest is breaking the law by conducting the circumcision. Elsewhere, Jesus used the illustration, if your animal gets bogged or caught, aren't you going to pull it out, even if it's a Sabbath? Are you going to say to the animal, oh, I'll let you just slowly you know, choke to death, I'll come and get you tomorrow? He says you'd lead your animals out to water on the Sabbath day. You lead them out to feed on the Sabbath day. You do all of these things, you break the law. Uh, as he says in verse 19, Moses did give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law. And that's the truth of it. And all the people said. Amen. It's so, so simple. None of you keepeth the law. Go over to um, uh, Hebrews chapter 7 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 7. And... Uh, yeah, we'll just read this one first. There's lots and lots of stuff we could use to discuss this topic, but um, we're just talking about the law in general, which includes the Sabbath day, of course. Hebrews chapter 7, just one little statement here, just to clarify something. Verse, uh, well, verse 19, Hebrews 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. The law made nobody perfect. The law, Lord never achieved what perhaps you religious people think it was meant to achieve, you know, uh, uh, driving people, you know, onward towards perfection. He says it never worked. The Lord made nothing perfect. And right through the Old Testament, there are references to the new covenant, the new contract with God, the new arrangement with God. And throughout Hebrews, Paul talks about how the law is, uh, you know, the first law is finished. Uh, we read down, for example, in verse chapter 8 and verse, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he's the mediator of a better covenant. So all that law stuff was the first covenant. And Jesus Christ and what he does is the second covenant. And we hear, read here, it's a better covenant covenant, which was established upon better 
promises. What were the promises under the Old Testament law? Well, that you'd have uh, food, that you'd have clothing, that you would enjoy safety from your enemies and so on and so on. Did it uh, specifically contain the promise of forgiveness of sin and everlasting life? No. We've now got better covenant with better promises. Uh, Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. If God decided the first covenant was going to work, he wouldn't have announced that he planned a new one. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And I'm not going to go through all of that particularly, but down to verse 12. For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And to hear people who claim to be Christians drawing us back towards the fourth of the Ten Commandments is infuriating. Uh, It's just senseless. We found a new covenant, a new way with better promises. And as Paul announces there, the law made nothing perfect. It never achieved that at all. So let's just explore this for a moment. Mark chapter 2, and as I say, a little bit of a Bible study, uh, Verse, uh, just one little story here, verse 23, and it came to pass that he went through the, sa- the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And you would think that sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? Except it ain't. Under Jewish regulations, you couldn't do stuff like that. It's considered work. And the Pharisees said to them, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was hungry, he and they that were with him? How he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests. And he gave also to them that were with him. So Jesus pulls out an illustration from the Old Testament about people who just lived in a very practical way. It was breaking the rules, but it served a practical purpose. You know, the show bread was those 12 little loaves of bread they used to put out the front of the temple on the stand uh, on the, the and what have you. And uh, uh, the priest allowed David and his soldiers to eat the show bread because I was starving hungry. And uh, nobody got punished for it, by the way. And that was the point. Uh, verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. People who become preoccupied with the Sabbath just don't understand this very simple principle that you've got it all back to front. It's not made for, it's not not something which humans have been designed to fit into. It's something which God created to help us in some way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I often say to people, frankly, I'd love to have a Sabbath day. I'd love to have every Saturday off. It'd be wonderful. Wouldn't you pass it on? That'd be fantastic. I'd love it. Uh, But whatever, you know, uh, there's plenty of time to rest when the Lord comes back, you know, plenty of time to rest when I'm dead. I'm not going to worry about it now. Uh, Just we do, we work for the Lord. As Paul the Apostle said, my life is poured out like a drink offering. The Old Testament principle of pouring the drink on top of the hot plate and then watching it sizzle up to God. Do you remember that? Who remembers what I'm talking about? 
One of you, two of you, okay. Um, and Paul says, that's us. Our life is like the bottle full of uh, that wine, which is poured onto the altar, and it hits the altar, it just sizzles straight up. My life is poured out like a drink offering to God. Uh, that's, that's my, if you look in the Greek, that's what it's saying. It's in Timothy there. Um, so back to this point here. So the Sabbath, he says, he was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28, therefore, the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Get used to it, guys. You know, I'm in charge of this. We've got a new system coming, a completely new covenant. And I'm letting you know, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't rule me. I rule it. Jesus was out there on the Sabbath day doing things. He was telling people to pick up their bed. He was permitting his disciples to pluck the corn. He was healing. I'm trying to think of a couple of other examples. I think he healed the blind man on the Sabbath. He made someone walk on the Sabbath. I don't know. I can't remember all the other stuff he did, but a whole bunch of stuff. And he's pointing out, trust me, I'm Lord of the Sabbath here. You and I are now in Christ. We also are Lord of the Sabbath now. All the people said, Sabbath doesn't rule us anymore. We rule the Sabbath. But we'll get back to that point in just a moment. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Over to Romans uh, chapter, uh, oh, before we go there, Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, having sort of briefly pointed out to you that we're now in the new covenant, um, we'll just read a couple of these first. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 23. Uh, so Paul explains to the Christians at Galatia there, uh, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. So he points out now the distinction between being in the old law covenant and being in faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was simply a schoolmaster. It was teaching us and instructing us something, how to live, how to behave. No Holy Spirit yet, no faith yet, no Jesus Christ died for our sins yet. It was simply driving us into this uh, position where we understood what was right, what was wrong, and hopefully we learned from that and so on and so on. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The word, the key word there is justified. Once we find Christ, we are made righteous. That's what justified means, made righteousness, not by anything we did. It's the gift of God. And all the people said, it's just so wonderful. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And over and over again, the Bible instructs us, well, one illustration, it says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to righteousness means wake up to what God's done on the inside. There are some people who get baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. They're convinced God's going to help them keep the Ten Commandments. Good luck with that. And the other 623 commandments, good luck with that as well. I wish you all the best. But you got Buckley's. The law made nothing perfect. It achieved none of those things. It was simply a schoolmaster to push us towards Christ. And it says there that we might be justified by faith. You come out of the waters of baptism filled with the Holy Ghost or perhaps half an hour later in the prayer room there, and at that split second in time as you receive the Spirit and spoke in tongues, you were washed, you were clean, your soul got scrubbed up, 
You were soul was restored. You're renewed. You were born again. You were born from above. All of a sudden, you are sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. You didn't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, you weren't even filled with the Holy Spirit. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit. All the people said. There's an awful lot of holy stuff happening there, isn't it? And that's what he's trying to get across to us. If you are filled up with the Holy Spirit, if you are immersed in the Holy Spirit, if by one spirit you are baptized into the body of Christ, you know, there's the body sort of thing, and the head is Jesus. We know that from Scripture. And we form the body. The Bible teaches us we're no longer on earthly places. It says, for we are seated in heavenly places. So we've been lifted up. We can't see it yet. Don't get me wrong. I can't see it. Maybe you can see it. You can tell me what it looks like later. But we are seated in heavenly places. We're in a new realm, completely different. New covenant, better promises. And all the people said. And here he reminds us, that's right, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Once you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not under the schoolmaster anymore. You've passed out of that. I mean, uh, imagine, a, you know, you're a 40-year-old man and you ring up your teacher from primary school and say, what's, what's my homework for tonight? What am I meant to do tonight? That's what it's like. You know, you're someone going back to their childhood saying, oh, I need a schoolmaster to tell me what to do. No, you're a man. You're a woman. You know what to do. And he says here, that's right, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Again, just in the same passage in chapter 4, verse, uh, or chapter 2, we'll go back a little bit. Chapter 2, verse uh, 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be for justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Uh, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. In other words, if we place ourselves back under some Old Testament regulation regime, then he says, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. It doesn't make sense. Uh, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I get filled with the Holy Spirit and then I start adopting all sorts of different regulations like that, and then I fail, I fail to keep the Sabbath, I fail to keep some food laws or some clothing requirements or something or other, it says I've turned the Christian experience into a failure instead of the success that Jesus died to give me as a gift. I'm crew, verse 20, uh, verse 19, I'm sorry. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And, uh, you know, you, you would have to say that's a fairly blunt description of law versus Holy Spirit. You're dead. It's a funny thing. You get baptized. It says we get baptized for the dead. 
in Corinthians 15 there. Many, of course, we get baptised because we are dead before we get saved, and that's the symbol of us dying. It says we are buried with him by baptism into death and raised by the operation of God. And we get filled with the Holy Spirit, and from that moment on, we've been transferred into the body of Christ. We're dead to the law. We've passed that phase. All the people say it's just wonderful. Sometimes people say, oh, Pastor Kevin, if that's true, then how come you have to be a nice person as a Christian? Galatians chapter 5, if you will. Well, you do. I mean, think about all the things that Jesus told you to do. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other. If they take away your coat, give them your cloak. He says, be perfect like your Father in heaven. I say unto you that you resist not evil. We're to be like God. Now, we're, we're, we're human beings. We know that we have our failings and our, our inhibitions and all that sort of stuff. But the Bible tells us here, in, and I'll just use this as an illustration, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 13, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto liberty. Doesn't the Bible teach us that over and over again? If the Son shall make you free, you should be free indeed. Uh, we read in Corinthians there that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And uh, it says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. In other words, Paul is pointing out, technically speaking, we, our life is hidden with Christ in God now. We're dead. It's just Christ inside of us. We're not under that Old Testament law anymore, but there's a whole bunch of stuff which is not expedient and there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't want to be brought under the power of. And he says that's why we move away from that. In Peter, he reminds us, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we can't go back doing stuff we did before we got saved. We got saved from, you know, drinking and raging and partying and doing marijuana and, uh, you know, wild living and all that sort of stuff, heroin, whatever it happened to be. Uh, sorry, Kingsley. We got saved from all that sort of stuff, didn't we? I mean, God saved us out of that. We've been set free from that. We don't want to go back to bondage to that sort of thing again. Um, and uh, the Bible teaches us here, therefore, in verse 13, brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. He says, don't use this amazing liberty you've found to develop some interest in the flesh. God forbid. We don't want to head back in that direction. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Um, he says, don't head in that direction. For all the law is fulfilled in one word in this, that thou should love thy neighbour as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, he says, uh, those two big commandments about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbour as yourself are really important principles that Jesus laid out for us. And they sort of endure right through time. Most important, we care for brothers and sisters. We love the brothers and sisters. Uh, and in so doing, it'll help us as well. If you don't, then what will happen is you'll all be biting each other. And if you bite hard enough, in a circle, eventually you bite yourself. And he's saying, don't do that. Be dumb. Uh, verse, uh, verse uh, where should we go? Down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, let's just talk about for a moment a Christian. And rather than talking about the fruit of the Spirit in this sense, let's talk about a Christian. If a, if a person is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, gentle, 
good, faithful, kind, self-controlled, that is a person who has an amazing testimony without any reference to the 623 regulations of the Old Testament. That is a person who will be a good advertisement for the things of God, as the fruit of the Spirit shows. All the people said. Over to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. I need to try and finish up. There's a lot of other things I was going to say. but uh, Oh, Romans 14. I might, I might just... Now, can you imagine back in Bible days, 2,000 years ago, you get a whole bunch of people who are Jewish, get baptized and filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues. Maybe they're 30 years old. Maybe they're 60 years old. They've had a lifetime of following the regulations of the Jewish law. How difficult it would be for some of them to start, you know, working on Saturday or wearing clothes made of cotton polyester or, you know, whatever the rule happened to be. It would be very difficult for them. And, and the early Christians clearly had this kind of uh, fusion experience. The Gentiles were only given four things to follow. In the, uh, in, the, in the apostles' original directive, Acts chapter 15. Do you remember what they were? He tells them they don't have to get circumcised, they don't have to follow the law, just do these four basic things and that will keep you in the right pathway. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Things strangled, blood, fornication, and food offered to idols. Those were the four things they said. And that would help them to witnessing to the Jewish people because the Jews would be offended by all of those things as it turned out. The only thing of those that actually remained with the passing of time was fornication. Uh, and right through Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, he talks about the importance, Romans, he talks about the importance of, of living good lives, okay? As I say, if a person is good, they'll be a great uh, you know, uh, advertisement for the Lord. And in Romans 14, Paul addresses the issue of uh, what do you have, what are you going to do if you have this kind of thing of the clash of the religions, the Jewish people in your assembly and the non-Jewish people, these are Romans, these aren't Jews, and they would they had all sorts of things. For them, pork, in fact, the, the to have pork at Christmas is an ancient, ancient Roman tradition. It was almost a requirement that you have pork at Christmas. Far be it. I mean, it's not a, obviously not a Christian, you know, faith, you know, thing. So what happened was this: verse one, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things; another who is weak eateth herbs or vegetables. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not. Let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and he giveth God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. In a nutshell, what Paul says to the Romans is, guys, when you have people who are spirit-filled Christians who are keeping the Sabbath or keeping the food laws, it doesn't matter. All the people said, do not cause an argument about stuff that's irrelevant, that it's neither here nor there. It doesn't really matter. Does it affect the core issue of being a Christian, that you are saved and forgiven and going to live forever. No, it doesn't affect that. You're still saved and forgiven and going to live forever. 
And Paul is pointing out here, and by the way, there are a thousand different topics that, that spirit-filled people get involved in. I won't go through them now, but all sorts of different things. And Paul basically says there's a whole bunch of stuff that just doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Sometimes people become very judgmental and very dogmatic about this issue and that issue and, and what have you, and Paul says, stop it. Please, all of you, stop it. Not suggesting anyone here does, but he points that out in chapter 14, and time has eluded me, but go down to verse 14. For I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, whether it's the clothes I'm wearing or the pork I ate for dinner tonight or perhaps the fact that I worked last Saturday. Nothing's unclean. But to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. A little further down in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Now, over the decades, I've been, say, 54 years this year, over the decades, you do occasionally see people who become judgmental, you know, about different topics and different themes and different aspects, and uh, you point out to them, but but is, is the brother or sister saved? And the answer is yes, they're still saved. Well, if they're saved, does it really matter? Do you need to be judgmental with them? Do you need to have that attitude? And the answer, of course, is no, quite the reverse. Let us uh, follow after the things in verse 19 which make for peace. We're looking for, you know, ways to behave and think and act and talk to each other, which cement our peace in Christ, our unity in Christ. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about how uh, we are to endeavour to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's how it works. Uh, so all these other little extras that come from the old law are irrelevant. In uh, verse uh, uh, verse 19, I read that, I think, and wherewith one may edify another. Chapter, verse 22, hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in that which thing he allows. And he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats with not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, it goes straight on in the Greek. There's no chapters. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. We that are strong ought then to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves that every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. In other words, the principle is we do things now to try and help others cement their position in Christ, to help them have a stable walk in the Lord, to help them have a fruitful life in the Lord. And we certainly don't go back to an era of uh, the schoolmaster. We're now in Christ. And all the people say. <laughs>